Hello? Hello? <laughs> I love doing that to mix up the sound people in the back. They're like, no. Anyway, it's great. Well, it's great to be here, folks. And um, let's, uh, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for the freedom to come together and worship you, Lord. Uh, it is all about you. The fact that you loved us, you created us, you loved us, uh, you, you came to, to the earth and, and died for us, redeemed us, uh, empowered us with your Holy Spirit to live for you. Lord, I thank you for the time and the day that you've placed us, Father, and an incredible time and place to live for you, Lord God, to have this opportunity. And we pray for your Holy Spirit just to bless this time now, Lord, as we get into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've got some great news for you. We're going to have difficult times. <clears throat> Isn't that great? Yeah. No. <laughs> Whoop. Um, no, the reality is uh, oftentimes we as Christians, we hear messages about Scripture, about, you know, in the end times, in the last days. And it's often a depressing message, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's, you know, it ends with, you know, you can get your survival equipment here, you know, with your, you know, your freeze-dried food and... And uh, we get sometimes almost a, a bunker down mentality, you know, get your Bible, your bullets, and, you know, you bunker down. And, and in reality, when we really look at the word, yeah, God addresses the end times. He addresses hard times. But he also gives us a clear prescription as to how we need to respond to it and see it, I think, as an opportunity, an incredible opportunity. In fact, I think, frankly, the early church would probably love to be right where we are right now. Uh, as we deal with the challenge that we're facing. Because they're all about being on the, on the forefront, not cowardice, but on the forefront of living and dying for Jesus. And um, we have an incredible opportunity. So um, open, open your word. Let's see what God's word says about the last days. Um, God is very direct on this. And I like that in the word. It gives us real clear assurance. Turn, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Or you know what? Just trust me. I'm a lawyer. Just trust me. Yeah, I know, that's good. Once I, once I did that joke, and I didn't hear any laughs, I just heard people go, you know, they were just flipping, you know, all the faster, and it was great. So, anyway, um, the, uh, the first point we'll, I want to look at, if you're taking notes, is the challenges we, we face. What kind, what are we gonna, what's the world going to be like as we face the last days? And I think you'll see some definite parallels. I'm going to try to draw some of those parallels from Scripture to what we're facing today. Um, but these are some of what we're facing uh, in the world today in, in the last days. It says in verse 1, But realize this, that in the last days, uh, inconvenient opportunities may arise at some time. No. It says, in the, in, the, in the last days, difficult times will come. What does it mean? Difficult is difficult. In other words, I like that right up front, you know, the, the, the God's word never promised us, you know, that it's going to be easy to live for Jesus. You know, it's just going to be a cakewalk. There'll be this force field around you once you receive Jesus. And these angels will just, and, and everything is going to be just punky-dory. No, we're going to be, we're here in a, in a, in a sinful world. And so we're going, to have, we're going to have difficult times. But in the last days in particular, uh, it says uh, difficult times will come. Verse 2. For men will be lovers of self. <clears throat> lovers of self. Um, we see that a lot. 
uh, as far as lovers of self, the attitude that um, that would I if I if it if it if if I if it if it makes me feel good, then it's okay, right? And who are you to tell me how I should live my life? Because I'm all about pleasing me, and it's all about me. By the way, did I tell you about me the other day? You know, it's like let's not talk about me. Let's that's enough of talking about me. Let's talk about I now. You know, so. And uh, in fact, a, a pastor of a church, of a, of a school, I think it was a Wesleyan ch- uh, uh, University in Oklahoma, and, um, and they had a, a message, uh, it was, you know, all about, you know, being uh, selfish and how we need to, you know, be concerned for other people and love other people, and there were students who filed a protest against this because it made them feel uncomfortable. And the dean, Dean Piper, spoke out and says, if this makes you feel uncomfortable, that should tell you that you're narcissistic. You know, that you, we need to be convicted. It's okay to be convicted when we realize that we need to be loving others and living for others. But um, I, I thought that was really incredible. They were objecting because this made, this, this, the message made them feel uncomfortable. And um, anyway, so uh, lovers of self, lovers of money. I mean, I think capitalism is great, right? It rewards productivity. It punishes laziness. It's, overall, it's a good thing. As, as an economic system. But reality is, people can become lovers of money, whether you're rich or poor. You can become obsessed with it. I know I felt really convicted when I saw this, and I sold one of my four yachts. I just, <laughs> I thought, no, I'm just teasing. No, I'm just teasing. If I, if I did that joke in Newport Beach, no one would laugh, probably. <laughs> They'd say, you know, maybe Mildred, we should sell one of our yachts. You know, no. That's funny. The lovers of money. Um, we see people just living for that at times. And uh, boastful, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. Um, we see that p- playing out all the more in our society, where society, even our, in our schools, we need more Christian teachers, I'll tell you that. Because a lot of our schools are teaching children to be overtly believe differently than their parents. Say, well, this is, your, this is the way your parents believe, but that's backwards. That's, this is the progressive way. This is a new way of thinking. And, uh, and that's a challenge, and that's a definite challenge. Uh, we, we see that in our schools and our textbooks that are coming out and uh, dealing with all kinds of, of role models that are different than what parents would want for their children oftentimes. So uh, we also have ungrateful. Ungra- synonym for ungrateful, one synonym I think is entitlement, Right? that basically the world owes me, just because. Uh, another aspect of this, a synonym for that was, uh, was unthankful. And uh, New King James, or I'm mean, using New American Standard this morning, but I think they use the word unthankful. Uh, and the uh, Matthew Henry commentary, which is a classic commentary, uh, pointed out that unthankful in that context back then was probably focused on their children. Because that was, when we think of thankful, we think of, well, thankful is a nice big house or this or that or my condo or, you know, or whatever. You know, things, you know, that, that new BMW, whatever, you know, things. I don't have one. That just, anyway. But, um, and yet, back then, what did they have? They had their children. I mean, the, they, they, that was the basic. And so, unthankful, things were very simple back then. And so being unthankful, Matthew Henry was pointing out, this is probably oriented really towards being unthankful for your children. And our society has, has gone a long way 
in that, from that, in that direction. Uh, we at Pacific Justice have worked really hard uh, to defend, um, right now we have a lawsuit filed to defend the uh, uh, pregnancy centers, pro-life pregnancy centers. Uh, they're doing wonderful work, fantastic work. And, but the problem is a new law that says that they have to have a big sign advertising uh, where women can get an abortion for low cost or free with a phone number, where to call. Now, if a government wants to do that, I can see a government, I don't agree with it, but to force a religious Christian pregnancy clinic to have to advertise for something totally against what their, their, their purpose is and what they stand for. Uh, and uh, so pray for us. We've already filed a motion for preliminary injunction. Uh, there's another pro-life clinic that we're representing right now in another situation, Vacaville. Um, they were prevented from moving into a building after Planned Parenthood was there, discovered they were moving in, didn't like that. I guess it was because they were going to be right across on the hall, same hall from them, literally three feet away. So they decided to uh, have the owner cancel their lease, breach their lease and their contract. And so we're now representing them, filed a lawsuit, and that's coming really well. But, but we in our society at all, as, as a whole, though, we see an ungratefulness for our children and, um, and what God wants for them and, and, uh, and to appreciate them. Um, unholy is another example in here that people will be unholy. Unholy is what? Um, divergent from that which is righteous, that which is godly, right? And we see that. Th number three is, uh, um, actually on the unholy thing, I'll tell you what I've discovered. I travel a lot. Do you know soft porn pornography is now um, all over our hotels just in the last year? It went from pay-per-view where you had to pay money and now you just flip the channels and boom, it'll be right there on the screen on hotels. The Marriott chain, Hilton, La Quinta. I, I had to, my office, when I travel now, they find out exactly what they have on the TVs and they put me, only put me in hotels that doesn't have that stuff. Because men, we're, we're not, we, women, they go to the guide, right? That's what you do. Women go to the guide. They're organized. They look for the show. Men, we're power, we're, we're power flippers. We just... So, um, so that's another challenge. We see this stuff coming in our society, unholy. Unloving. Unloving. Uh, where we, where we don't really care for others. Uh, irreconcilable. Um, malicious gossips. I'll tell you, I know this guy. He is the biggest gossiper. Let me tell you all about him. Oh, never mind. I guess that wouldn't really work well here, would it? Okay, never mind. Okay. That, that, was, a, that was a joke. That was good. Okay. Um, without self-control. Without self-control. Um, I was debating with a gentleman on the radio, and um, he was someone in, he was in the um, gay lifestyle, and he was on the other debating, and he was saying that that uh, how, how, can, how can you expect us to be, uh, have, live any differently? This is who we are. This is what we feel. This is, this is just, we're just living what our feel, feelings are, our, our, our desires are. How can you blame us for that? And you sort of hear it in our society. We think, well, that makes sense, right? But I responded and I said, what you said is the most demeaning thing you could have said about the people you're allegedly representing. Because what you've just said is that they're not human beings, they're like animals where they have no self-control. And human beings, we have self-control. And on behalf of the many who are exhibiting self-control in this area, I have to ex object to what you're saying. I said, that is very demeaning to, to the people you're allegedly representing. And it's true, because we all have temptations. 
No temptation is overtaking you as overtaking you, but such as common to man. And yet, our society is saying if to, to, uh, to give into it. And yet, that's becoming a part of our mindset as a society, is self-control. Brutal. Haters of good. Uh, treacherous. Reckless. Conceited. Uh, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. A uh, Supreme Court decision came down this last summer and, uh, on marriage. And, and uh, if you read it, the rational, uh, rationale of it was that there's a fundamental right for your own pleasure. There's a fundamental right for your own pleasure, for your own satisfaction in relationships, whatever that may be. And you may have different perspectives on the actual outcome of the case, but the rationale, that rationale was very alarming. Very alarming. Um, because that's what it came down to, is, uh, is that perspective. Uh, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Wow, what are they talking about here? Godliness, yet denying its power. This is people in our society where they're religious, but they're going through the motions of religion, but there's no change in their lives. Because they're, playing, they're being religious, but there's no real relationship with God. When we have a real relationship with God, it's transformational. It, it, it impacts our lives. And yet you see, you see people, and I've, I've met people, and, and they have this religiosity, and it makes them feel good, because religion make, can make you feel good. You know, so I feel religious, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've just sort of done my thing. And yet in reality, it's, 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 a, it's a hollow, it's hollow. And because there's no real relationship with God. Real, real godliness is, is, to be, is to have a real relationship with the Lord. And that's awesome, a real walk with God. And so that's something that we're going to see also in the end times. I think we see that more and more in the churches today. When I was growing up at church, I mean, I remember, I remember thinking, okay, I know Baptists are going to heaven, but those Presbyterians, I don't know. They don't baptize the way, the right way. I had my concerns, you know. And, um, and that, was the, that was the issue back then. Now it's, it's just your, the question I talk now, they say, what church do you believe in? You know, do you like to preach in? And I like to preach in all churches because I love to preach the word. I said, but my favorite are the ones that believe the Bible's God's word. <laughs> and when I was a boy, they all believed Bible. Even the Episcopals believe Bible's God's word. <laughs> Anyway, I, 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 have, I have some Episcopal friends who are Christians, so don't worry. But now that's the issue. Do you believe the Bible is God's word? I mean, and so we, we see that there's a, a real change taking place here, this, this fake godliness, religiosity versus reality of believing what God's word says. It says, avoid such men as these. And uh, does that mean we as believers are to avoid people who are who are in sin? No, because if that was the case, I never would have come to Jesus, right? We're all sinners. We all need Jesus, right? And God wants us to take us all where we are. And yet, I think what we're talking about here is actually indicative with where, we're, where, where this is focusing on, which is actually in the church, how this is invades the church and the, and the need for us to, to deal with that. Um, verse 6, it says, For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, so there's someone who's not on the out, there's someone on the inside who's a part of learning and, but not coming to the truth. 
Just as Janus and Jambres opposes, opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected in regard to the faith, but will, they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all. That is what? To the, to the church. Just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. So the, the, these challenges are challenges not just outside, they're, outside they're, they're, they're challenges inside the church. And that's, that's the, the, uh, the, the alarm. Um, and, so I, I, and so we shouldn't act as though some strange thing's happening when we see these, these kinds of challenges um, for, for those holding themselves out as, as, as in the church or even as ministries. Uh, I know on my radio program, I, I, was, I was watching this show, as televangelist on TV, and he was all about selling holy handkerchiefs, and oh, he was just, oh, it was awful. I mean, it was just, you know, this, you know, plant a seed, give the money, the seed money, and God will bless you financially, and you'll be healthy and wealthy and, and all that good stuff. You guys seen that before, that kind of stuff? I was so nauseated by this. I told my producer, I says, one of the two, he has two segments. I said, one of the segments, I says, cancel that. We'll do that other time. I want to talk about this guy on the radio show. I want to nail this guy. And... Um, <laughs> And by God's grace, I couldn't remember his name. Because <laughs> otherwise, I probably would have gotten in trouble, but no. But I think that was God sort of ta tapering me a, a little bit, you know, from... But, um, but it's, 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 it is alarming. And uh, I, uh, I saw this, this big mansion, gigantic mansion, just uh, this weekend. Yes, uh, it was Friday. A friend of mine was in town. He's driving around. He says, you see this house here? This is that big mansion. This big mansion over the ocean, that's where uh, Pastor So, that's where, I was just sort of surprised, you know, that it was, I mean, but on the, on the flip side, we need to also be careful not to, what, judge the hearts. We need to let, let the God do that, right? We need that, and sort of, the older I get, the less, when I was younger, I was much quicker to take up my stones, you know? I was going to write a book, and the book was called, And They Call Themselves Christians, and I was going to just nail so much. I had so much I was going to attack. And this mentor of mine from the Billy Graham ministry, he says, Brad, do you really think that's what God's called you to do? Is that your purpose? You think there's something else? You think he can take care of this? As, so we as Christians at the same time shouldn't be consumed with that. We need to keep our, cons our consumption on, on Jesus and living for Jesus. Um, but be sensitive, though, to, to the righteousness of God and what he wants for the church. So... We see there's challenges. Now, the next big question is, how should we respond? How should we respond? And uh, how should we respond to the challenges we're facing? Let's see, I, my glasses are not, I should have worn my glasses, but I don't like to admit how old I am, so. That's why I have the big, you know the Bible is big, you know why? It's not because I want to be religious, because I had to have the giant letter. That's what happens when you get older, just so you know. Um, it, it, it happens to all of us, so. Uh, okay, uh, God wants us to follow First, follow Paul's example. Uh, verse 10. Now you follow my teachings, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love. Love? What's that? We have love in there? All this bad stuff happening and God wants us to love? God wants us to love people who are attacking Christianity? He wants us to, to, to love people who are, who are wandering away or... Yeah, God wants us to love. I mean, those are all real powerful exhortations. See, conduct, purpose, faith, patience. But love, you know, perseverance, those are really strong. That's really strong language for our response. 
And notice I don't see the word fear in here. You know, so if you be like me, be fearful and hide every time, you, you know. No, God wants us to be active and he wants us to love. Um, even when it's uncomfortable, I'll give you an example. Uh, I was uh, out of town that so many, uh, some activists were, some transgender activists were demonstrating in front of my office. And, uh, and I, afterwards I heard about it, I thought, I wanna connect with these folks. And I, you know the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart to connect, you know, and like it's, it's out of your, your comfort zone, but yet God puts it on your heart. You ever had that happen where you, I, I need to connect with this person. Less than two weeks later, we're on the same TV show. And he is right to my left, it's on a panel discussion. And, and it came to a break time. And uh, he said, we'll be right back after this. And I'm sitting right next to him. And so I took my Bible and I just hit him. No, I'm just teasing. I didn't do that. <laughs> no, no, no. Instead, quite the opposite. I, I took him where I said, you know, um, do you think it's possible? Uh, this may sound strange. Do you think it's possible we could get together afterwards and visit? Um, it, really, I really, it really helped me to understand you better and to understand what you've gone through because I haven't been there. Is that, is that possible? Will you do that for me? He said, sure. So we met for about three and a half hours. That's a long time. He cried at least three times. And it was awesome. And God just, he was like, he didn't say, Brad, I want you to preach. No. It was, Brad, I want you to listen. I want you to love this guy right where he is, the same way I loved you right where you were. And that is powerful. It was so awesome. It was so different than my, my natural nature, which is not to, to be silent. Talk to my wife, she'll tell you. And my kids, they said, Dad's preaching again. Mom, Dad's preaching again. No. But, um, but anyway, but I was listening. And at the end, he says, you know, Brad, you're really different than what I thought. I said, really? He says, yeah, you're really different. I said, you mean I'm not the cold-hearted, hate-filled, right-wing extremist? That, yeah, you're really different than that. I said, well, thank you. I appreciate it. You're different too. And I didn't say any more than that because I was going to put my foot in my mouth and for my own ignorance. And... Um, but he was very gracious to me. And, um, and we got to meet again after another program. And, um, and it's on my heart to continue to try to meet with this guy. And what I've learned is, if we want to change lives, it's not about focusing on someone's sin, saying, oh, you have, oh you're that kind of a sinner. Well, let me tell you what, you know. Because we do that sometimes. We have different hierarchies of sin, too, which is really unbiblical. We're all sinners. We're all on the same level of desperate need for God's grace and forgiveness. And, um, and so it's, it's real important to, for us to understand that, that we, God wants us to, um, to, to, to love people and to be with people right where they are and uh, with that sense of humility, understanding that we've been forgiven and, uh, and to connect with people. I remember I was on a show uh, recently. It was on an L.A. convention center, Politico.com. It was sponsoring. Have you heard about it or not? It's a big thing, you know, a lot of intellectuals. And, and, um, and there I was, and I was debating Clay Aiken from American Idol. Remember Clay Aiken? Yeah, you got, you got, he was classic. He was great. So here I am sitting there, and I, I start off the debate. They say, Mr. Dacus, you begin. It was about religious freedom, and he's also he's a gay activist. So it's sort of like the confrontation of, you know, religious freedom versus gay activism. And, and, um, and I start off the debate. I said, I just want to be upfront and transparent right now about about my prejudice. I have very deep prejudice. And I wanna be right up front right now about my deep prejudice. Clay, my wife and I voted for you for at least 50 times on American Idol. 
I'm a huge fan of yours, and I just hope this debate goes smoothly enough that afterwards you'll let me have my picture taken with you, okay? <laughs> and then I went on, and it was great, because I respected him right up front. And that's, and that's the key. It's, it's not to hit people over the head. It's to love them and respect them right where they are, to develop a relationship with them right where they are, with, with sincere love and respect, sincere love and respect, and then what's the game plan? It's to lead them to Jesus, to lead them to Jesus. And then they come to Jesus, and they have to recognize they're a sinner to come to Jesus. Now, we don't have to sit there and, and nitpick and, and help them all their sins. That's the Holy Spirit through the sanctification process. We lead them to Jesus. They come to Jesus. Then you what? You disciple them, and they're in the Word. And then the Holy Spirit, through the Word, through the fellowship of believers, works. And, and that's, that's what we need to do. We need to give God the, the, the latitude to work. And, uh, but the, our goal is to lead them to Jesus and then to be committed to love them, respect them, lead them to Jesus, and, and disciple them and take them right, right where they are. And it's really powerful because, you know, when you look in Scripture, that's what Jesus did, you know? I mean, he was really, I mean, he could have been very, much less gracious, gracious when he went to those tax collectors, you know? But he gave what? He started off with, he gave with love and valued right where they are, that kind of love of Christ, right, taking them right where they are. And that's what we as Christians need to do as well. Okay, so love and uh, uh, perseverance. Verse 11, (laughs) persecutions and sufferings. Okay, this is what he wants us to to follow, right? Okay, persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconum and Lystra. Uh, What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Now, wait a minute. Lord rescued you? Um. Wait a minute, you had these persecutions. I mean, you you were shipwrecked, right? You were beaten, you were stoned possibly to death. Uh, I mean, you you had a lot of bad things happen, Paul. You were whipped. I mean, how did God rescue you? I don't see him rescuing you. Oh, no, he did rescue Paul. He rescued Paul to continue the work that God had appointed Paul to do. Isn't that awesome? God doesn't promise he's going to rescue us from persecution. In fact, the next verse, verse 12, makes it really clear quite the contrary. It says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, period. And I looked, as an attorney, I looked for an escape clause here. I did. I, I said, okay, but what about the United States of America? Unless you live in America, God's country, not there. Why? Because if we live for Jesus, if we desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, we are a shining light to the world around us. And some are convicted by the light and they, draw and, they, and they come to Jesus. Others are repulsed by the light. It is an offense to them. They despise the light and hence they will despise us because they see the light in us. And we need to not be surprised when that happens and uh, not to be, you know, be shocked when that happens. At the same, and so... Um, understand, we will be persecuted. Verse 13, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. All right? So we see that as we, how should we respond? We want to follow Paul's example. We need to be willing to be persecuted. Um, and we also need to be, be willing to, to respond to the fact that there, there will be imposters. We need to keep our eyes open uh, around us. Uh, verse 14, uh, we also see that God's given us a powerful sword uh, to which, uh, with which to, uh, to protect us and to utilize. 
It says, you, however, continue on the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from, and that from childhood, who, I say, who they learn it from? Knowing from whom they learn it from? From the apostles, right? From Paul. So verse 15, and, and that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, the scripture, right, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So the scripture is real important. This is, this is, this is super important. If we deviate from scripture, if we, if we don't study scripture, we're holding ourselves out to be very vulnerable for, for attack. I think the church today, one thing we need to do in response is we need to also, we need to be clinging to the word of God like never before. And I feel really convicted on this myself. Uh, I heard a pastor of a, on, a, on K-Wave, he was preaching and he was Pastor Brian Broderson and he said uh, how in the past, he says, as Christians, we can just sort of avoid sin and we can get by pretty well by just my not going to these places or going, doing this, this avoiding sin. He says, our society's changing where sin is becoming so much into our society and in our lives that that isn't enough. We have to cling to the word. We have to walk in the spirit. And that is how we deal. Because in the early church, they had lots of sin. Rome, Corinth, ha! Huh? I mean, that's a whole other talk, but... I don't even know if I can talk about it because it would be, it's so bad, okay? But, and yet the church blossomed because they walked in the spirit and they clung to the word. Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for some good works possibly done. No, no. Equipped for every good work. So even though we're going to have all this stuff going on, all the persecution, all this stuff, you're going to be still equipped for every good work. Why? Because all of Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. God's given us all we need. And that's exciting, isn't it? Even though we face this, we're not handicapped as a body of Christ. And then, and then we also have another challenge, which is, um, is we, God wants us to boldly share the word. And I just keep to myself, chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, now, it says, he, he builds up to something really important now. What, listen to this. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Whoa. So whatever he's about to say, it's big time important. Because he doesn't give this kind of preface all throughout all the time, does he? So what is it? What's the next verse? Verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And what does he mean by out, in season, out of season? That means in, in the summertime and in the wintertime. No, no. What he means is in season, when things are going good, and people are coming to Jesus, and things are moving really great, and people are responding, and out of season, when you preach and they want to stone you, and there's not even giving, you know, no time for altar call. I mean, this is like really bad, okay? It doesn't matter whether it's in season, it's popular, or out of season. Preach the word, right? Uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come 
when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Do we see that today? Yes. In the church? In the quote church? Yes. Massively. Like never before, I think, in, in, in our nation, in world history, in the church's history. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Notice, there's no let up on the exhortation. Even though in the last days we're going to have these difficult times, we have a great exhortation. And that's awesome. That's why this, this talk is today is dealing with our, our last days, our destiny. It's a destiny. It's an opportunity to live for Christ. And um, verse 6. So we see that Paul wants us uh, to, to preach the word in season out of season. He wants us to be prepared, right? Be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Verse 6. He also wants to keep our eye on the calling. For I am re- already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I saw 100,000 people come to Jesus and 10,000 churches. No, that's not what it says. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I have kept the faith. You know what's great about this? In the end, it doesn't matter how your precinct voted, okay? (laughs) Uh, Or it doesn't matter if how your country or what your, even your family, you know, what matters is were you faithful? Did you stay true to your faith? Were you faithful to the end? Did you live for Jesus to the end? The results is a God thing. God's results. For us, he wants to be faithful. Paul understood what the, measure, the measuring stick was. What was it again? To fight the good fight, to finish the course, to keep the faith all the way to the end. And that's so important. To, to, to not, never to give up. Um, I think the idea of retirement is great. Only the extent to which you continue to work, you just don't get paid. That's what my wife told me. She says, honey, yeah, when you retire, it just means you're not going to get paid anymore. He says, because you'll go crazy just sitting, you know, playing Parcheesi and, and golf or whatever, you know. Uh, it's great to play golf and all, but, but God in the end wants us never to give up as far as it comes to our calling to live for the Lord and to live for Jesus. And finally, keep our eye on the prize. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to most of those people who've, no, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He had, in other words, Paul kept his eye on the prize. We need to keep our eye on the prize. You know, Paul here, is, he's facing death. He's about to be executed. And what does he say? And the future has laid it for me, the crown of righteousness. I mean, he, he has his eye on the prize. I don't see any mourning here saying, oh, I'm just so upset. This is, a, this is terrible. This is, I had a terrible trial. This wasn't fair. I'm trying to get Pacific Justice to represent me on appeal. No. Um, we, weren't, we, weren't, we weren't around that back then, just so you know. No. Um, but, yeah, we, we're gonna, we want to, to lay hold of, of what we, our opportunities are and, 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 and cherish those. And, and God has been very gracious to keep open those doors of opportunity. But in the end, at the end of the day, we need to be willing to lay all down for Jesus. We need to be willing to, live our, to, to forsake our lives for the Lord. And I never had that mindset, I'll be honest with you, since just the last year and a half of that really needs to be in the mind of, of the church. In the Middle East, it's the mind of the church because more Christians have been martyred 
uh, just in the last few years and, and, and for centuries combined. We have lots of massive killing of Christians. And there are people who say, who do not deny Jesus. Even here in the United States, in high schools, more than one occasion, you know, they put, you know the story. And they said they will not deny Jesus. They said, no, I will not deny Jesus, boom. And we need to have that mindset, that kind of commitment to live for Christ. Now, some people here this morning may have heard this message and thought, and thought that's a nice, uh, nice talk um, and all, but I, I really don't think that this is, um, this is really what is, uh, really relates to me because I, I don't know I'm going to have the prize, the crown of righteousness. I'm not sure that's going to be awarded to me. I'm not sure I really long for his appearing. I'm not sure I really feel, feel like I'm right with God or I know God. Um, I'm not sure he'd, 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 he'd take me when he appears. And that's really the most important question of all is, is do you know Jesus in a real personal way? Not a religious way. I mean, you could be someone who's been religious all your life. You've gone to confirmation and confession and been baptized and communion and Bible school and, and uh, Bible camp and, and uh, all that stuff and tithed and gone to church. You could have done a whole bunch of stuff. But in the back of your mind, you could still be thinking, you know, how could God forgive me for all my sin? Because there's, I've got a black closet here. I've got a dark closet. By the way, all of us have a dark closet, just for the record, okay? I've got this dark closet of, of stuff in here that I'm really ashamed of. How could God forgive me for this? It's so bad I can't even forgive myself. You know what we're really doing when we say that? It's like walking up to Jesus Christ on the cross. And just picture him there on the cross. He's dying. He's bleeding. He's agonizing in pain and suffering. With the crown of thorns, we walk up to him, we say, nice try, Jesus. You see, for me, that's just not good enough. And Jesus had a response on the cross, and his response was, it is finished. And all we have to do is to believe it and receive it. And he will separate all of that shameful sin as far as the east is from the west. He will say, I have covered that sin with my blood on the cross. And I have, I have put it to rest with my resurrection from the dead. And all we have to do is to believe it and receive it in humility. And he will become our personal savior. Not a theoretical savior. Not an institutional savior. A personal, real savior who saved us from the pit of hell and destruction. And give us a new life in Christ. And all we have to do is believe it and receive it. Right now, we're gonna, I'm going to give you that opportunity to do that. This is a great time to do it, isn't it? Christmas, we're celebrating Jesus coming to earth. One of the greatest, the greatest gift we could give him is to surrender our lives to him and receive his, what he did for us on the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you. We praise you for what you did for us on the cross. Uh, we give you, Lord, all the praise and the glory for it. And, um, and Lord, we, uh, we just pray, Lord, that, that the world around us, Lord, will see the light in our lives that we will uh, take our faith uh, much more serious as uh, we will double down, if you will. We'll really um, make it a priority, Lord God, to, to live for you and, um, and to, to walk in the Spirit, not be distracted by all these things in the world around us and what could very well be, Lord, the, the, the last days, as your Scripture describes. Father, we also pray for those who may not have a personal relationship with you right now. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit, Father, will convict them and, uh, and that they'll respond to this opportunity to receive you as Lord and Savior. With every head bowed, 
every eye closed, just simply pray this prayer with me right now. And uh, if you're one of those people who'd like to, to enter into a personal relationship with the Lord, just say, Lord God, I'm a sinner. You know what I've done. You know my past. And right now, right now in, in humility, I receive your full payment for all of my sin on the cross once and for all and your resurrection from the dead to give me that victory, Lord. I, I receive that. I thank you for that full forgiveness. And I right now surrender my life to you. You make me the person you want me to be. From now on, I want to be a disciple of yours, Lord. I want to follow you. And, and you make me the person you want me to be, Lord, because I can't do it on my own. And I thank you right now for, for entering into my life and, and making me a part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, I'm going to tell you, Satan is really ticked off big time. He is, because he no longer has his hand of dominion on your life. And he's really frustrated. You know what he's hoping right now? He's hoping that you're going to not share it with anyone, that you're going to forget what happened, and you're going to forget that you just became a child of the king. He does not want you to, to, to have that in your mind. He wants you to, to minimize that. And so to make sure he doesn't get that, that second uh, alternative, I'm not going to ask you to come forward right now, but I'm going to say this. If you prayed that prayer, will you just humbly just raise your hand to affirm that you just prayed that prayer to receive Jesus, your Lord and Savior, this morning? You want to pray that prayer this morning? We're just going to clap and welcome you into God's family. Praise God. Anyone else? Praise God. Praise God. Anyone else? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Go ahead.